When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we talk Idaho upland hunting with a bonus sharp tail centric reading list with our guest Andy Wayman. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 188. All right, welcome to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Got a great chat coming up with our guest, Andy Wayman, today. But before we get to that, I got a couple of things to run by you, including a few pieces of Birdshot Podcast merchandise that so many people have been asking me about. So I'm going to tell you about that in a minute, but I do want to thank Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. As always, your support is greatly appreciated, and I will have a new winner for the Patreon monthly giveaway on next week's episode. It being September 1st today, I haven't had time to do the drawing and reach out to the winner yet. So I'll update you on the winner next week and let you know which of the two remaining prizes is still available. Remember, all Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast get a little welcome pack with some Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers. You're eligible for monthly giveaways, which right now, up for grabs, a vest from Final Rise, the Summit, Legacy, or sidekick series vest from final rise winner's choice or a new pair of brush pants from first light the august winner will have their choice on those two items and the last remaining item will go for the september giveaway patreon patrons also get access to bonus content when that's available and they also get discounts like the ones you've heard me mention for gumleaf usa upland institute and new as of today a discount on that birdshot podcast merchandise where you'll save 10 percent with each of those discounts mentioned. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. As always, thanks for considering that. Okay, don't forget to like, subscribe, 
rate, review, follow, share, Birdshot Podcast. Simple little things. Anyone can do it. Take a minute. Helps out the show. And I thank you for taking the time to do that as well. Okay, let's talk Birdshot Podcast merchandise. This is one of those things that I have thought about from time to time. As I mentioned, plenty of people ask me about it. I've got the stickers and the can coolers, and I've made that a Patreon thing, which is working out well. But I always get hung up on the idea of doing merchandise and managing physical products and that kind of thing. I just, it's a lot of extra work. And I really appreciate the fact that people are interested in it and want it. So I have continued to think about it and knew that ultimately I would need some assistance in order to make it all work. And more importantly, to make sure that folks get their products in a timely fashion, because that's where I think I would really struggle with shipping and fulfillment and all that stuff. So long story short, been working with Tim from Howlers Inc. He does some design work and merchandise and honestly can't say enough good things about Tim and his work and all the help and support he's given me to make this as easy as possible for me and ultimately for anyone interested in grabbing a t-shirt, sweatshirt, or hat. So huge thanks to Tim and I will get to the point here. This is a limited time sale of Birdshot Podcast stuff. There's some t-shirts, some hoodies, and some hats available via a link that I will put in the show notes. I will put it on my website. I will do my best to share it on social media, all that stuff. Available for sale until the end of the day, Monday, September 12th. You can check out the little Birdshot podcast storefront, load up your cart to your heart's content. And at the end of the pop-up store, Monday, September 12th, Tim will go through and print and fulfill and ship all the orders. So limited time sale on this stuff for now. I'm testing out some designs and put some stuff up in the store that I think you'll be interested in. I've had my hands on all of the t-shirt blanks and sweatshirts before putting them up there. Wanted to make sure we use some of the best shirts and hoodies, some of my favorite items. And of course, we put some different Birdshot podcast designs on there, one of which I'm going to tell you a little bit more about in a second. But all that to say, this is kind of a trial run for me. So feedback is encouraged. If you see something you like, dislike, something missing, something you would like to see in future iterations of the Birdshot store, if you will, please let me know, share your feedback. You know how to find me, nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Emails are welcome. So most of the designs are spinoffs from the Birdshot podcast artwork and stickers that I've already used. You've seen this stuff or something similar already, but there is one t-shirt design that was kind of the core of this whole thing, which I didn't want to launch this until I had this but I've got it. I think it turned out awesome. And I think it's going to be really cool. My buddy, Jay Dowd, who many of you listening may be familiar with, he's a rather well-known artist that does a lot of work in the Upland space. And I knew that at some point I would have to hit him up for the, as I told him, the Birdshot podcast album cover, so to speak, as Jay and I share some musical interests of the heavier metal type. In fact, one of my favorite t-shirts is a shirt that Jay designed a few years ago. That is a upland slash grouse version of a metallica album cover but anyways jay did a piece of original artwork for me and the birdshot podcast that is a bit more classic in nature i gave him some ideas and inspiration of what i was thinking and as per usual jay exceeded expectations and delivered really a beautiful piece of artwork on its own i've got it hanging here above my desk in the office and feel fortunate that i get to look at it and enjoy it every day but hey you can too it's on the t-shirt and i hope you will appreciate the quality of artwork that jay has become so well known for 
Huge thank you to Jay for doing this for me and the Birdshot podcast. I think it turned out amazing and I can't wait for all of you to see it. So definitely go check that out. Again, the best way to see all this stuff is go to the link. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put a post up on my website. Go there, take a look at this stuff. Hope you find something you like. But if you're like me, you got a million t-shirts and hats and I know who needs another one. Any sales on this stuff will be appreciated. Like I said, this is a trial run. We'll see how things go and we'll see if we want to do anything like this again in the future. But there you have it, Birdshot Podcast, tees, hoodies, hats. Check it out. Let me know what you think. All right, let's get into today's show with a return guest all the way back from 2018, Andy Wayment, Western Upland bird hunter, author of a couple of books, many magazine articles, blogger online, and list maker of excellent reads that feature sharp-tailed grouse. Andy and I will talk about this in the show today, but I've been collecting and reading a bunch of books over the summer. And if you'll remember my interview with Glenn Blackwood, we talked about the fact that sharp-tailed grouse were not always front and center focus in a lot of the books that get brought up time and time again. But Andy chimed in and said that he knew of quite a bit, sharp-tails being one of his favorite birds to hunt. He's written about them. He did in his most recent book, Idaho Upland Days, which he did send me a copy of. I read that, enjoyed it. Plenty of sharp-tail stories in there. And at the end of our conversation today, Andy rattled off a list, which I will include in the show notes. Check the web post and the show notes for this list because it is extensive. But he really did his research and took some time to put together a fantastic list for me and the listeners of the Birdshot Podcast. So a huge thank you to Andy for that. Had a lot of fun catching up with Andy, hearing some more stories from his Idaho Upland adventures. And we got into some good conversation about blue grouse, rough grouse, huns, sharptails, some of those western species that folks will be out there chasing Today, starting today, September 1st, if it cools down at least, but seasons are opening up everywhere. It is September, and although it may not feel like it at the moment, fall has officially arrived in my book. All right, with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and onto the Birdshot Podcast, Andy Wayman. So... After a couple technical difficulties, we are live on the, well, we're not live, but we're recording on the Birdshot Podcast. Andy Wayman, thanks for joining me today, man. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's it's good to be back and uh, appreciate yeah. the opportunity that we had back in 2018. So this is kind of fun to follow up. So you looked it up. I usually go and do that. I'm a little behind. This morning I had an appointment and I did not check when our previous interview was, but 2018, so... Yeah, it was July of 2018, just before my first grouse book came out, and it was episode 35, if anybody wants to go back and listen to it. so Way back, way back. Well, you, you might be surprised. I'm always surprised when I hear from folks, but I will fairly regularly get contacted from folks that just start listening to the podcast, and they go all the way back to the beginning and listen all the way through, and I'm always impressed at their, uh, their fortitude to do so, but I, I certainly am, am thankful that people go back and listen to old episodes. Well, you do a good job, I've, and I've listened to quite a bit of them, and, and I enjoy what you do, so keep it up. Well, I appreciate that coming from you, Andy, and that really is one of the reasons we have you on the show today, because as you will know, I did an interview with Glenn Blackwood not long ago. Listeners will know, and we were talking lots about books, and Glenn and I kind of got into this conversation about a lack, we were really talking about a lack of books on sharp tail hunting. 
And certainly when you compare it to rough grouse hunting, there's, there's a lot less out there that at least we were aware of. And you kind of chimed in and you're like, Hey, there's, there's, there's some, there's some treasures out there in the, in the sharp tail literature world. So that's one thing I want to talk to you about. And you were kind enough to send me a copy of your book, Idaho Upland Days, which there's a bunch of sharp tail stuff in there. So you've, uh, you've helped me get a little fix on, on sharp tail reading over the last couple of weeks, Andy. Well, you, you bet. I, I enjoy hunting them. They are a wonderful game bird. But uh, yeah, Glenn, Glenn is a great resource. He, he definitely knows his stuff. And, and I would tend to agree with him that there's not a, a book out there that focuses, you know, strictly on rough, or, excuse me, sharp tails. Yeah. But I but I do think that there's there's a ton and I've compiled a list for your listeners if you're interested. So Yes. Yeah, we will definitely get into that. We will share that. You know, I was, I was just kind of thinking I I I just finished the last couple chapters in your book this morning and I th- I think there was one of them in there that I don't remember which one it was, but talking about oh, it was the bird it was the one on bird brain and how okay. people that we won't get entirely into it, but folks that have the upland affliction as you and I both do. And and many of the listeners do, we kind of, uh, sort of retreat a little bit from the, from the modern day, you know, society and everything that's going on. And we sort of retreat to these, these, our covers, our bird covers and simpler, more natural landscapes. And I certainly, uh, when we're having technical difficulties trying to get these podcasts fired up, I certainly wish I was in a bird cover (laughs) (laughs) instead you and me both, you know, and that I actually our our season opens next Tuesday, so I I can't wait. That was that was my plan to lead off with, man. It's August 25th today. Uh what what are you feeling today? How how excited are you? Oh, uh, you know, it's just it, you you can start to feel, you know, just the the cool mornings. You can feel it coming. Mm. So it's it's a just a less than a week for us and and uh I'm excited. My dog's excited. She's stir crazy right now so so you're out in idaho if listeners haven't caught on to that right now what's the weather like right now you know it's it's kind of a warm day I, i'd say we're probably about 75 80 degrees already today it's been pretty hot out there this summer hasn't it yeah not not like last year though we've had a lot more moisture this year okay so yeah. it should be a good good year for birds i would think yeah do you get out much and scout and get into bird covers before the season or you kind of kind of have a plan know where you're going well you know i have i have plenty of coverts that are within an hour of the house um i have not been as good scouting this year as i have in years past i usually will start like in july and august but uh i don't know maybe it's the gas prices but uh, (laughs) i just haven't been able to to get out as much and I kind of have, you know, a bead on where I want to be opening day. And, and uh, so we, we tend to find birds and, and I have no reason to expect that this is not going to be a good year. Last year yep. was great. So, yeah, that's good to hear. And so enlighten me a little bit on Idaho bird season, September 1st. Is that forest grouse only? Do you, does your sharp tail season open up like some other states or no? Because I, I, I think just from knowing you a little bit, I think you're going to be out chasing forest grouse. You bet, you bet. So our, our the forest grouse season actually opens up on August the 30th. Oh and, wow! And, okay. And they did that to coincide with the archery hunt because a lot of the people that hunt big game with archery, they want to hunt you know the forest grouse. Um, so be. it's it is the only season that opens up 
that early. So, and when I say forest grouse, I mean that we have three species in Idaho. We have blue, we have rough, and we have uh, Franklin's, which is a subspecies of, of uh, spruce yes. grouse. Okay. So yep. we have those three species and just, just, you know, within an hour of here, I've got um, really good spots to hunt blues and rough grouse. Okay. So that's how and you then, kick up. Oh, Go sorry. Ahead. I was going to say sharp tail doesn't open until uh, September, excuse me, October the 1st. And October it's a month long. Yeah. And it, on, and it only goes a month. Yeah. Cause that was, that was something I, I didn't know that before. And I picked it up in your book that the limit is two sharp tails and it's, it's a fairly short season, which kind of leads me to believe that there's maybe not a ton of sharp tail habitat, a ton of sharp tail cover. You know, it's, um, unfortunately we, we do have a decline in that. I mean, I think the, the sharp tail numbers are kind of holding fast, but it's a lot on private property. There's not a ton of opportunities if you don't have access to private property. There are some public uh, areas that you can access, but uh, I, I would think that it's, you know, a lot of people uh, that hunt birds in Idaho don't focus on sharp tails just because they don't know, you know, where to find them and, you know, how to find them consistently. Yeah. So... But I, I happen to live kind of in, in, a, in a great spot. You know, it, um, there's sharp tails only in southeastern Idaho. Um, there, I guess there's, there's, yeah. there's a remnant population over by Hell's Canyon, but you can't hunt those. There's a planted population over by the South Hills by Twin, but you can't hunt those either. Hmm. So it's, it, they're kind of just on that southeastern corner of Idaho. And there's fairly good numbers. You know, I mean, we have days where we'll see, you know, 30 to 50 birds easily. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and, and again, that was, that was evident in, in a lot of the, the stories within the book, but I've got the map up here next to me. So I'm kind of looking at it as you're describing some of this stuff. And I, you know, when somebody brings up Montana, I mean, Montana is a little different because you've got such a drastic change from East to West, but you talk Idaho, Oregon, Washington. I just kind of, I just picture big mountains, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's what I drop. Cause I haven't spent all that much time out there. And I, and I really would love to, but you hear people talk about bird hunting in Idaho. And the thing that comes to mind for me, which I think you would at least echo or kind of agree with is just the, the, the variety again, sharp tail, the forest grouse species, you've got pheasant, you've got huns. It's just, uh, there's, there's so much variety in, in what the state has to offer as far as upland bird hunting. Would you agree? Yeah. It's, it's uh, Idaho is really a neat, unique state. You know, we have nine different, uh, species that you can hunt uh, regularly. Yeah, quail. And, yep. Um, the quail primarily are over in the western part of the state and the northern okay. part of the state. So we do hunt them, but I, I typically don't hunt them until Sean comes in October. But but where I live in, in uh, southeastern Idaho, I hunt huns, I hunt sharptail, I hunt rough grouse, blue grouse. There's, there are some pheasants. I don't typically focus in on them. Um, there's some chucker around, but the best, the best chucker hunting in the state is over in the West. So we, we have tons, tons of birds to hunt. You know, it's a, it's a fun state to, you know, try to do the, the grand slam of all, you know, all, all the species that we have here, which I almost did once. I, I, uh, came up short. I didn't get a pheasant. <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> in, in, in one season or one day? In one season. One season. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, yep. that makes sense. So, and I, and 
I've, I have done the grouse grand slam. I wrote an article about that quite a few years ago, but, uh, yeah. done, done all five species, not in a day, but in, in a season. How does the licensing work there? Does one small game license get you all nine species or is there a stamps oh, or anything? That's a great question. Um, actually, if you buy your, your regular hunting license, you can hunt most of the species. There are okay. two that you have to have a tag for the, um, um, and I, I, that reminds me, I need to go get my sharp tail tag, but you have to pay <laughs> paid, uh, it's like a $5 fee to hunt sharp tail. And then you actually have to buy a tag for uh, sage grouse and they have oh, units yes. now. So, and I think they allow two birds per season. And I think the tags are like 20 bucks a piece and it's okay. first come first serve. Wow. So last year we, we tried to do it. We, um, a friend and I, we, we got into an area that we didn't know. We didn't find birds, but this year we were first in line the day that they opened it and, and we're able to finally get back to our spot that we haven't hunted for years. So oh, we're wow. really looking forward to that. Yeah. So, so did you, did you buy two tags for two sage grouse? Yeah. And it's, it's different, you know, I mean, back, back when, um, we, it was just over the counter, you buy your tag, but then you only had like a two day season. Now they have, it's, I think it's like a 30 day season, but you only get two tags. So if you gotcha. get your two birds and that, you know, in, in one day you're done, Yeah. but uh, you do have the opportunity to hunt a little bit longer. And, and, uh, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I, you know, it just depends on how many birds we get into. And, you know, I'm, I'm primarily a forest grouse hunter. So, yep. you know, I love, I love to hunt sage grouse, but if I had my druthers, I'd, I'd rather be hunt chasing uh, roughs and blues. So, yeah. Now you mentioned a cover that you and your buddy hadn't hunted in years. If you were to, if you were to walk around, go, go about your normal business through the course of the season and have those sage grouse tags in your back pocket, would you have sage, like reliably have some sage grouse encounters throughout the season? Or do you really need to go look for them? You know, you know, unfortunately Idaho is just losing habitat so quickly yeah. for sage grouse, you know, and it's, a lot of it has to do with, with, you know, the cheat grass that's kind of taking over in right. our, in our, our uplands and, and that, that cheat grass will regularly burn. And so we've lost just hundreds of thousands of acres of, of, so there's only, I would say there are areas that are still good. that are still holding strong. Um, but, but, you know, there's also areas that you can't hunt where there are populations and it's just because of, of the dramatic decline. Mm-hmm. So east of, of where I live, you know, I could, I can drive 30 minutes and find sage grouse, but I can't hunt them. Gotcha. So, I mean, you really gotta, you kind of gotta know where they're at, you know, where they, their leks are and, and what type of habitat they're using. But the area that, that I was just telling you about that we, we drew the tags on, or that we bought the tags on. Um, it burned, you know, like thousands of acres of it burned and they closed that whole area down for like three or four years. Wow. So that's, that's a regular thing, you know, and, and I've, I've seen those fires when, when they, when they get going, I've been out hunting or out in that area and you'll see, a, you know, like a 30 foot wall of flame when, when that cheatgrass goes, it burns hot and fast and it just wipes out the sagebrush. Yeah. And, and the sage grouse or the sagebrush can it not recover? I wanted to ask you about that, the cheatgrass and, and how it relates to the sagebrush, because I've heard a little bit about it, but I'm not entirely familiar. Well, it, it definitely can recover, but it takes, it takes a time. Long time. Yeah. yeah, it takes, it, it takes time. And, you know, and, and I think 
the BLM and you know other groups are trying to reestablish it in areas, but but as long as that cheatgrass there, it's it's part of their their its regular regime, if you will, to to burn. And so yeah. you know, it, if the as long as the cheatgrass stays, the the you know it's going to take out the sage that's trying to struggle to come back. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And the cheatgrass is a is it a food source for chucker? It is, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, so great for chuckers, hell on other birds, you know. And right. We, Idaho used to have um, mountain quail and, and in some areas that you would con- kind of consider as sagebrush areas. But I think it's the cheatgrass that's that's gone in and wiped them out of those areas. You know, I'm thinking about around like Glens Ferry in that area. So there's no more, there's hardly any, you know, you can't hunt mountain quail in Idaho anymore. I th- I'm sure that there are some remnant populations, but you can't hunt them. Really? Okay. So yeah. dumb question for you. Mountain quail, valley quail, are they different species? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Mountain quail sense, are actually <laughs> Idaho's only native quail. Okay. And they are about the size of a small rough grouse. So a valley quail no is actually, uh, you know, they're, they're small like a gambles. Okay. You know, they, they have the top knot like a gambles. Um, we have a ton of, of valley quail in Idaho, but they, they're not native to, to my understanding. So Mountain quail, the size of a small roughed grouse. You got, you got my attention there, Andy. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> they're cool birds. I never hunted them. You know, I've always wanted to. And there's some good populations. So it's going way back that you can't hunt them. You know, um, I don't know if you know Craig Kolchak, but he's an he's a yeah. author from Idaho. But he, he hunted back in the 80s. Okay. And he, he did take, um, you know, he writes about taking, uh, mountain quail in Idaho. So it's, it's been, you know, I'd say 20, 30 years at least where you, uh, that they, they cut off the season. So where are the, I'm just totally out of curiosity. Are there, are there other States that have strongholds or huntable populations of mountain quail? You bet. Um, California and Oregon. Okay. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm a little vague on on the western quail stuff i guess i kind of have them all bunched together in my head but didn't really know the specifics that's interesting i'll have to look that look up some some photos yeah the, i'd say the mountain quail are kind of more of a mountain bird too or, uh, what, yeah yeah there you find them in in kind of rugged thick stuff like you would sure. find rough grouse yeah, yeah. i'm sure I've, i'm sure i've read about you know it's like you until you have a personal experience with something you know, I read lots of stuff and I know I've read articles on mountain quail and valley quail, but again, until you see, touch, feel like you kind of, they can kind of glaze over them as I'm, as I'm reading them. It's not as personal as, as say the roughed grouse or the woodcock. I, I can attest to that. I got to hunt uh, woodcock for the first time Man, last yeah, year. I heard you and talk I about absolutely that. loved it. It was, I've read a ton about it because I love literature, but there's nothing quite like being in the in the woods and, and hearing that twitter of of wings. They're special birds. I envy you guys up up north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, it definitely feels like an abundance of of riches in that regard when it comes to when it comes to woodcock and, and I mean there's so much like we've gone on the the uniqueness of of here today and gone tomorrow. You know, they could be here in in the thousands or millions or whatever today and then they're they're gone the next day. I mean that that makes the the season arc of, of woodcocks all interesting. Now you hunted them in the Southeast, correct? That's right. Yeah. I hunted them yeah. in South Carolina. Yeah. In the, in the swamps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you recall or what do you remember about the hunt? Obviously it was that last season. 
Yeah, you know, it, it was it was um, everything that you love about rough grouse hunting, but different. You know, yeah. you're in thick, gnarly cover that will cut you. <laughs> yeah. You know, green green briar is nasty stuff, but uh, you know, it's the pointing dogs are, are wonderful to have in there. They'll they'll hold these birds. Uh, you know, I I got to hunt with um, my friend Matt Lee, and he has uh, pointers. And okay. he had some. He had a, a woodcock specialist named Deuce that it was just so fun to watch. So we we saw tons of birds. Um, I'd say the snap shooting was was challenging, but super fun. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, when I was, uh, you know, the first couple birds that got up, I, I was just so enthused. I was so excited about it because sure. I'm like, this is like rough grouse hunting because you're you're shooting in thick thick it. it cover and it's it's snap shooting which i love yeah you know that's that's what i love about rough grouse hunting so yeah i can imagine as as somebody that has been hunting upland birds for a long time and you do hunt a lot of rough grouse so you're you're hunting in forest grouse you're used to shooting in in thick cover but imagine that erratic flight of the woodcock had to be yeah. a little bit unusual for you yeah you know the one thing that i know i noticed too is that you, i mean i'm used to these birds that just hammer up you know like yeah kind of fastballs yeah yeah yep. so and, and i i my first impression of woodcock is like these suckers are slow i can hit them you know and i because i think i've missed the first shot and then i went three for three yep. and i'm like and then the next day they kicked my butt so they <laughs> they'll fool you you know so yeah. i think i went I, I shot maybe three times the next day and i only got one bird so they, yeah. they they can get up and they have afterburners just like any other bird but but yeah, my first impression was like, these birds are slow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that resonates. I mean, I think that they can give off that impression. And I think I've heard, you know, talking about the rough grouse woodcock mixed bag hunt. And I think it was Steve Smith. He kind of aptly described, like, if you're expecting the fastball that is the rough grouse and then a woodcock, the AKA the changeup gets up and, you know, kind of that twittering, like you can really get thrown off if you're, if you're expecting one versus the other. And that's the beauty of of being in covers that have both rough grouse and woodcock, I would say. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I, it, it would be exciting. So, did you see any grouse down there? Were you really not in grouse country? I know it's no. We're nice. we're actually in the swamps, so yeah. we're kind of in the lower low low country, as what I would say. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I, I wrote an article that's coming out in uh, Upland Almanac, and it's in the uh, if you remember in the Revolutionary War, uh, you, you've probably seen uh, the Patriot. The movie, yes. yes. Uh, Mel Gibson kind of yeah, not his that long character. Ago, actually. Yeah, he, Mel Gibson's character is is uh, kind of taken after this this guy who they call the Swamp Fox, but it's in that area where he hid with with the American troops. Oh, yeah, we're okay. hunting down in those those cane breaks and you know Greenbrier jungles that they couldn't find him. So it's, that that's the, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the article, but it's in the footsteps of the Swamp box something or something to that is, uh, yeah. effect very cool very cool look forward to that one so all right let's we i could go nine different species of upland birds we can go all over the place we i know you hate chucker honey <laughs> yeah there, there's a, i don't hate a, it i suck I at know, it i know <laughs> I'm, I'm playing off your one of the last chapters in your book was kind of your joke you know facetiously 20 reasons you hate chucker hunting but it was oh yeah I was laughing yep. to that but Let's talk forest grouse. I want to jump in there and like, okay. given the timing where you're going to 
what you're going to be kicking off your season with here. Let's talk blue grouse. This is something that's become, it's becoming more and more of interest. I have, I haven't had the time to get far enough west to hunt them yet, but it's on my list. And I've been talking to folks recently about, again, kind of higher sort of alpine open meadows. I mean, I've seen pictures, I've seen videos. The cover just seems awesome. What are you going to be on opening day? What kind of a place are you going to try to put yourself in to get on these birds? You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, blue grouse, they, you know, and I've, I've said this before, but they reverse migrate. So they'll, they'll be found yeah. in lower elevation. So I, I love to hunt them in September. It's one of my favorite times because you'll find them in the same areas that you find rough grouse. But, but, uh, so opening day, I will likely be, uh, on a logging road to begin with. Um, it's, it's a, uh, some private property that I have access to and it's, um, you know, the, the logging road part of it kind of keeps, uh, you know, you do have your mix of old growth and, and young growth, but there's also berry bushes all, all along the road. Yep. And so the, the birds will, will come out and they use the logging road, um, and, and the berries, and uh, so we'll we'll get out and we'll hike that, and the dogs will kind of work the cover on on the upside and the downhill side of the road. And uh, it's steep, you know, it's steep country. Okay. So that'd probably be the first place that I would hunt. And you know, and it's it's fun because when the birds will get up, you know, if they're above us, they're going to get up and they're going to uh, pitch over the road. And uh, you know, so it's tough shooting because they're diving. Sure. You know? yep. Yeah. So a lot, lot a lot of fun and. Um, sometimes, you know, they're, they're predictable enough that you can get up and you'll, you'll get above, you know, when I get above the tree line and I get to these berry bushes, I'll pick up a rock and I'll pitch it into the bush and see if you can flush them. And I've, I've killed multiple birds pitching rocks, if, if you can believe it or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So su- super fun. But, but then w- when we hunt along and I'm talking, this is Grousketeer Ridge and you might recognize the name of yeah. Grousketeer. This is where me and Tommy got into those birds that day. Okay. But yeah, yeah. when you get up to Dusty's Nub, Dusty's Nub is, is a kind of a bald area that's above the trees and there's sagebrush all up there. And the birds will be, um, sometimes you'll find them out in the sage and they're, they're hunting grasshoppers. Yep. And that's one of my favorite things to do is to catch them out in the open. It's kind of like sage grouse hunting. So, and, and I usually will find them out in the open maybe four or five times a year, mm-hmm. you know, yep. o- otherwise they're usually in the trees. So, and then, um, after we get done hunting that ridge, we'll probably go down to what I call the outhouse, which I wrote about in my first book. Okay. And the outhouse is a, is a riparian area. It's a little Creek bottom that comes kind of in a little tiny, spring creek that runs into this main creek that I call trickle creek, not a big creek at all, but the birds, um, just love that creek bottom for whatever uh, reason. There's a, as you go up, there's, um, quakies and, and, you know, uh, snowberry, um, there's choke cherry all up at this bottom, but there's this one area where the creek is straddled by this big ser- service berry bush. Mm. And for whatever reason, my dog just goes on point when she sees that bush. <laughs> <laughs> because there's so, you know, there's usually birds. La- last right. year when we hunted it, so we're hunting up the bottom and she locks up on point and I kid you not, on opening day, we probably kicked 
um, I'd say 10 birds out of that thicket. And Ten they blue were grouse? Ruffs and blue grouse. Ruffs and blue. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we ended up getting a few of the roughies, you know, but the, the blues, they, they're a little bit tougher. They're getting smarter. They're, they're tougher for me to, I don't kill as many blues as I used to, you know, and, and, and I hunt primarily rough grouse. They're my favorite, sure. but, but the blues, they're, they're, they're tougher to find. And so the early season is your best opportunity to, to find them. Okay. Yeah. It brings up a couple of interesting notes. And I heard, I believe you brought this up. You were on Will Larson's Upland Rookie podcast and you guys were talking and you kind of recanted a tale that is in the book about you were hunting blues and you were you were thinking maybe I'll go out on these sage sage brush benches yeah. <laughs> to to chase the bluegrass. Maybe they're out here. You know, I don't know what where you were at with the theory in your mind at that point, but this conservation officer was like, "They're forest grouse. You, you don't chase yeah. them out on the sagebrush benches, right?" And long story short, you went out there and and found some blue grouse. But that got me thinking because I chase rough grouse a lot, as folks will know, and more and more i i key in on open areas too because again yes they're a forest grouse and yes we talk about hunting them in thick cover but these birds are they're they're utilizing the habitat that they have available to them and if they're gonna if there's a an opening in the forest where they need to get sunlight or chase insects or get berries i mean they're going to use that stuff and like opening your mind up a little bit i think can can ultimately lead you to some of those some of those places which happened with you as yeah well. i think you know i think it's all about the food honestly yeah, yeah you know and so um you know and i can't say that i i'm the one that discovered that blue grouse use uh, right. sage you know sagebrush um but I, I think uh as tom hugler in in one of his books um mm. it's, i tell you it's grouse of north america he talks about finding them out in the open too so it's 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 cool. just one of those things where, you know, through trial and error, I just, I just happened to find them. I hunted through the trees and I'm, I'm, I'm kicking across a, a sage opening to get to the other group of trees. And I kicked the blues right out of the, the open, you know? Yeah. So to me, it, I just kind of stumbled upon it, I guess you could say. And, and since then it's become kind of a focus. If you yep. can find that type of those types of areas where there's a pr- pretty decent uh, sized population of birds, you're going to find, you know, hopefully find them out in the open. Yeah. Similarly, I've got a, there's a cover that I have started hunting. I, I hunted there with a, with a friend, a buddy who's a forester in Wisconsin. And it's a big loop that just one of my favorite hunts of the year to do. And I usually do it once, maybe twice, but to get on this hunt, we, we would walk through this, a, a fresh clear cut. This was a couple, two or three years ago. It was a fresh clear cut. The first time I ever hunted was in December and my buddy Mike and I were walking and we get into this clear cut and we weren't 20 to 30 yards into this clear cut when all of a sudden a grouse flushes. And there's some standing, I mean, it's not a barren wasteland, but there's a few stems here and there and it's right, we're right on the edge of the woods. So a good place to be. We flush a grouse and he, he dropped it. And at the time, I think it was December. It was sunny out. I was like, oh, the grouse is out here getting some sun on a cold December day. Well, I've gone back and done this hunt the last two or three years. And now I'm the second time we went through, it was more like a late October, November hunt. And sure enough, we flushed a grouse right out in the middle of this clear cut. I, I shouldn't say in the middle. Cause we are kind of, we're hugging the wood line, but it's happened 
three or four times now where I think every time we've, we've put up at least one grouse in that clear cut. So it's got me thinking. And I just, again, open areas, the birds are going to use it. And, and you're on the edge of the woods. Those are, those are the kinds of things that you learn just by spending time on the ground and, and walking through places. But it's, it's the power of observation that you, you use to start connecting those dots and ultimately seeing a pattern, right? Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit uplandguncompany.com. You bet. You bet. You know, I, I, your your story kind of reminded me of some of my favorite areas to, to hunt for rough grouse. You know, um, we, we obviously rough grouse are birds of the, of the timber, and, and uh, you, we yep. usually find them in new growth. But some of the best areas that I find rough grouse are where beavers have been active. And they go yep. in and cl- kind of clear out areas. And so we're finding roughies in areas where there's just little saplings where the, you know, the, the quakies are coming back or, you know, whatever other uh, berry bushes are coming back. And I think it, I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, that it just depends on what they're eating. You know I mean? Yeah. It's a good area for insects and it's also a good area for buds if they're budding, if that's what they're yep. keyed in on. Yeah. So, and berries as well. Yeah. And your mention of, of the logging road, early season. I mean, that's not unlike what I would be doing early season as well. A, you've got a traversable route through what would otherwise be thick woods. So kind of using that to your advantage, but it's also a logging road is kind of a, it's a permanent edge in the forest. Sunlight is, is getting in there. So you're getting insects, you're getting berries, there's grit on the road. I don't know. Specific, I, I would imagine gallinaceous bird like blue grouse is probably pecking gravel as well so yep. i mean it's a it sounds like you're kind of hitting the easy button but really it's a it's a really smart place to be especially early season well it's it's kind of cool because like i said blue grouse are going to migrate and so mm-hmm. if you think of a mountain as kind of wide at the base and narrow at the top so as they start to migrate you're going to get these congregations that come up you know oh, yeah. together and so we call it the, the blue grouse bottleneck and if you can find <laughs> out where where they're going to bottleneck you can sometimes move, you know, 30 birds. And I've, I've heard people, I, I was going to write an article about this, but I've heard of people that have seen 50 to 60 birds on one ridge. Wow. And it's because of that. They're, they're migrated up to into a, a good congregation and, and you'll, you're finding tons of birds. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind, kind of one of those things that you always hope to see as a blue grouse hunter. Yeah. Now, I've seen rough grouse flush. I've seen sage grouse flush. But not a blue grouse. Where do they? Where do they kind of? What is it like when a blue grouse takes to wing, Andy? 
You know, they they are pretty closely related to um, a sage grouse, and they're you know some of the the big bombers. I would mm-hmm. say are are very um, comparable in size okay. to sage grouse. So some of the big males, um, you know, they they flush hard. Um, yeah. So you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, the blue grouse is the easiest bird on the wing." I say, "Bull crap! They're they're tough." <laughs> They're tough birds, and, and, and especially after they've been hunted, um, they, they can be one of the most challenging birds. And, and it, one of the things that I that you'll note is that, yeah, like like a rough grouse, you know, they will sometimes flush up into trees, and that's not the most challenging shot. But usually, if they've been hunted, they're going to barrel off the side of the hill. So you're yeah. you're going to get these tough shots. And, and my favorite air place to be is above them because I okay. like that shot, and I'm looking down and. And uh, able to, and I, I've had good success with that. But sometimes you'll catch them, you know, like my dogs will point them up on top, top of the the ridge above the road, and they'll come diving over the top of your head, and you just, I mean, it's a tough shot to get on them yeah. that way. It's better when you're already above them and you just kind of are able yeah, to more to of level a going away shot at that point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they can be super, super challenging. And, you know, I, um, like I said, I don't kill as many bluegrass, but I, I love them. They used to be my very favorite game bird to hunt. So, but they, they're challenging. So I, I would say that that kind of puts them in a league all their own with the, well, maybe you could say com- compare them to Chucker because Chucker always fly downhill too. Right. Yeah. They're a bigger target than Chucker though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, yeah, you're, you're a little bit friendlier towards the bluegrass. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're a little bit friendlier to me. Let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe a better way to put it. <laughs> so you're very likely, it sounds like it's a likely possibility to have a blue grouse, rough grouse mixed bag hunt. Yeah, I, I, I have it quite often. You know, I mean, I've got multiple co- uh, coverts where we can do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's usually only during the, the early season, September, sometimes in October. Um, you know, early October, but yeah, it happens all the time. Talk to me a little bit about shifting focus to rough grouse. Um, we probably talked about this back in 2018 a little bit, but you know, I envision sort of Western rough grouse hunting. I think I, I don't envision you being in the middle of a big piece of forest. I envision more kind of like mountain, like openings and meadows and stuff, almost more like I'm, I'm coming up with blue grouse, but I may be totally wrong on that. Talk to me about about chasing rough grouse a little bit. Well, you know, um, Idaho, I would say, is, you know, especially where I live, is is kind of a desertous area. I mean, Mm. where where there's water, there's life. And so rough rough grouse are going to be more found in the riparian areas where there's water or up, you know, up in the higher mountains where you get more precipitation. So, um, you know, the birds are going to be where, where there's water, where there's water, there's life. Like, like I said, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the rough grouse, um, you know, they also, also are birds of of succession. You know, they, they, they want that new growth. You're not going to find them in the dark timber. You're going to find them where there's quakies and, and, you know, so logging. You're saying quakies, you, that's Aspen. Aspen. Yeah. We say quaking Aspens. Yeah. Um, or poplar, I guess would be a similar tree. But uh, so that they will use that they um, you know berries like choke cherry service berry um, mountain ash berry. I was gonna say know. yeah mountain ash you mentioned yeah that's I got a lot of mountain ash in my yard 
we don't have a lot of I don't see a lot of it out in the covers, but that's a berry that you mentioned it with both rough grouse and blue grouse. Yeah, they'll they'll eat it. Uh, most mostly blues. I, I found blues just packed full of it. But yeah. you know, I think I think the the roughs tend to want the choke cherries and the service berries. So and they'll all of them will eat the huckleberries. So okay, do the mountain ash? Do they grow in like big thickets of mountain ash? Or I I really just I haven't seen enough of them in the wild to know. I feel like I maybe see one here, one there. But do they grow in big patches? Yeah, you, you know, and and so we're hunting, and I'm just thinking of this one co- uh, covert in particular, yeah. Grouskater Ridge. They, you know, so obviously they're not growing in the middle of the the road, the logging road, but they're growing yeah. on the sides, on and sides, they usually yeah. are super super thick and just have huge berry clusters, you know, that that uh, yep. turn bright bright orange. Yeah, and that and again, I I've got them right outside my window here and there. I, I love having them in my yard because they, you know, the berries will start to grow and about mid-August they start turning orange and right now they're getting bright orange and it's just, to me, it's, even though I don't see a lot of them in my grouse covers, it's just become like so symbolic of hunting season is right around yeah. the corners. We got these orange berry clumps all around my yard. Oh, I hear you. It's a, it's a good herald, I guess you could say for, for yes. uh, what's to come, so. Yeah, indeed. So that is that's kind of that's kind of forest grouse hunting. So you're you're primarily doing as much of that as you can in September before October comes along, and then do you kind of transition a little bit and start getting after sharp tails? Yeah, you know, sharp tail are such a, a special bird to hunt, and and you know, I I just love them. Um, I would say they're top three for me. I, I probably would put them on par with blue grouse, maybe, but. But we, you know, we just have such a fun time hunting them and, and our coverts that we hunt, you know, you do have the opportunity for a mixed bag. So it's not like I totally shift my focus right. from rough grouse, but, but, you know, again, it's just such a, a fun hunt to be out in the open mostly and, you know, walking the uplands and, and chasing after their bir- those birds. They're special. They're, they're cool yeah. birds. Well, I, I got to tell you as, as somebody that has sort of a newfound love of sharp tail grouse and obviously a, a passion for rough grouse. If I could be, if I could be walking in the open and shooting sharp tails and perhaps steering over towards a, a drainage or a riparian area and get into a rough grouse, I mean, I would be in, I would be in heaven, Andy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's pretty dang special. I've, I have had the mixed bag quite a bit and, you know, I wrote about one of the places in Idaho upland days called the Royal McNabb. And you yeah. do have an opportunity every time you step foot in that place to find both. And, and I'll tell you just a little vignette. There's, you know, it's, it's kind of rolling Hills, uh, CRP is what, what we would call it. Um, but there are these draws that are wooded and, and yeah. you tend to find the sharp tail up on the, you know, the lee side of, of the hills and kind of more open areas and the rough grouse you're going to find right on the edges of the, of these wooded draws. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there was one time I was hunting up through, this this area that was i would consider a crp just kind of a grassy area big big blue stem but there was this little divot in the in the cover and inside the divot there were these little tiny sapling choke cherries mm. and so i go up in there my my dog locks up on point i think it was misty and and sunny girl and uh they both lock up on point and i kid you not uh sharp tails and rough grouse came boiling out of there <laughs> 
And I, I, I was so, it, it kind of caught me off guard. I, I think I blew holes in the sky. I didn't get any, but I did, <laughs> I, I didn't hit any of the rough grouse. I did mark down where some of the sharp tails went and, and yeah. was able to go and get them up and get one of them. But, but yeah, they were right in the open. I'd say probably hundred yards from, from any trees. Yeah. So it was kind of cool. Now you're just, now you're just rubbing it in Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's come on out and I'll, I'll uh, let you experience it for yourself. Oh, I, I gotta say the, the Royal McNabb, is a is a cover in the book and we'll let we'll let folks check out the book to to find out the true meaning behind that but it comes up a lot and man i mean like i i felt like i developed a personal relationship with the royal McNabb as the as the book went on because there was just so many so many stories about it and i did bookmark this and if you don't mind i'd like to read this paragraph that just describes the cover which you kind of just did but this will give folks a little taste of what's in the book but This incomparable covert is composed primarily of rolling CRP fields that slope gently downhill. However, the hand of time has gouged numerous parallel draws running east to west, which have drained the area for eons. As the draws slope downhill to the west, they become increasingly deeper and wider to the point where they become more like canyons. Inside, the draws are choked with quaking aspens and numerous berry bushes, including chokecherry, serviceberry, rosehips, and elderberry, which serve as food sources for all the game birds, including rough grouse, Hungarian partridge, pheasant, and sharptail. Above the CRP fields to the east are grand, steep mountains with thick alpine forests. The surrounding panorama is simply breathtaking, which I'm like out of breath after reading that because it's, it sounds amazing, Andy. I, that's just a, that's a great passage in the book, and it, it drew up visions in my mind that what a, what a special place. It is pretty dang special, and it's it's just a wonderful place. It's you know, come October first, there's only one place I want to be, and that's that's the spot. How did you find that place? You know, I had a brother-in-law that was from that area, and uh, you know, he he knew I was into bird hunting, and and I was just asking him to take me around. I said, Do you know where anywhere where I could find some huns? And uh, he said, Yeah, you know, I I know some places, you know, from people that he grew up around. So he took me out there. And this is with Farls um, back in 2002, I want to say. And uh, so I've, I've been going there since 2002. But so we, we went out there and, and Farls cranks down on, on point up on top of one of these ridges. And I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking it's going to be a, a Hungarian partridge. But lo and behold, it, this sharp tail gets up and I, I dropped it on the first shot. And uh, so, you know, that was my first exposure to ever even seeing one. Really? Um, yeah. So, okay. you know, I, so this is, I think I started hunting, uh, in earnest back in 1998. So two thousand, yeah, right. about yep. four years, a couple of years in. Yeah. Yep. So I went to school in this area in that down in that area in Pocatello and, uh, you know, just, just never even knew that their sharp tail were a thing, you know, I just yeah. what, didn't know that much about it. So after that, that got kind of put the bug in me for sharp tail. And then we went out there the next year, which is the, the, the thing that I wrote about that you got, you got to read about that day that I had with my brothers, yeah. you know, where, where the place was just loaded with birds. So, yeah. And the thing about sharp tails, I mean, again, anybody that's hunted them, the, that chicka, 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 when they take off and they, they, it's, they're flushing and they're making that sound. Like if rough grouse made a noise like that, I mean, they would be, it's just, it's so, they're so unique, so unique. And, yeah. and then it, it's helpful that, 
again, typically where you're finding them, you've got some sort of panoramic scenery. And, and I mean, that, that place just sounds magnificent with mountains. You know, I, I haven't hunted them like with mountains in the background, but super cool. Well, I have to tell you what Don Thomas calls them. He calls them soul chickens and they, they are soul chickens because man, yeah. they get in, they, they just become a part of your soul, you know, good for the soul, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Yeah. They're good for mine. I know they're good for yours. We're going to come back to sharp toes because I want to talk about the books before we kind of run out of time, but um, we didn't talk a lot about a lot about Huns. Are you typically finding Hungarian partridge in your sharp tail covers? Are they, is that, I mean, that's a, it's yeah. typically a yeah. mixed bag hunt you hear about. Yeah, you know, Hungarian partridge are, you know, I call, call them the bird of the void in Idaho because they'll they'll inhabit anywhere where there's not other birds, but they also okay. overlap quite a bit. But yeah, you, you tend to find uh, huns in the same areas that you find sharptails. And so it's not uncommon to get the mixed bag. Um, you know, we have some areas where we, you know, we target huns and, and then we get the the occasional sharptail. So they're yeah. they're they're a wonderful game bird. Uh, definitely challenging on on the wing, but fun when you get them dialed in. They're certainly, and this will well. The episode's not out, but I I we talked at length about targeting huns. It's a bird that I have. It's kind of a focus of mine. Like I want to learn a little bit more about them and get better at targeting them. Let me ask you: What elements, if you were going to go out hunting huns, what elements would you be looking for in that cover? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, and I'm not the best hunt hunter, so I'll just, I'll just. Uh, I, I, I will interject at this point. I, re- I really enjoyed the, you, there were some sections in the book where you're talking about, you, you would say you'd, you would be hun done and like yeah. you give them the two barrel <laughs> salute and they kind of, they kind of trouble you in, in shooting and targeting them. So yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I, I mean, I've gotten better over the years, but, but what, yeah. what we look for is, is wheat fields. So okay. you want to find harvested wheat fields. Uh, there are areas where we hunt them where there's, you know, kind of sagebrush uh, benches and strips. But if you can find like dry land wheat wheat farms where the wheat's just been cut and those sharp tail can get out there and glean whatever seed is yeah. still left over, that's where you find them. Okay. So and 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 they'll be, you know, we when we get into them, you'll find them just packed full of wheat seeds. So, and Idaho kind of has a situation where they, you know, the farmers will plant winter wheat in the fall and then harvest in in, in the next fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can, if you can find right where, you know, those edges are that, that where you can hunt along those, those uh, harvested wheat fields, that's your best bet. And, you know, we're kind of hunting near draws that are, uh, you know, uh, sagebrush draws that are alongside these wheat fields. And, yeah. and, you know, you can sometimes find eight or nine cubbies, you know, in an afternoon. So it's, wow. it can be really good if you know where to target them. You know, you can find them out in the middle of the sage desert where there's not a cultivated field around too. So right. that's why I call them birds of the void. It just depends on where they're at. I've, I've been up turkey hunting up on a ridge where I'm in the middle of, uh, you know, just kind of on a brush, uh, a grassy hillside in their sage or excuse me, aspen all around yep. and kick huns up off of that stuff where you're up like you know seven thousand eight thousand feet so <laughs> they're they could be anywhere and you kind of touched on it there but i wanted to ask and i've i've sort of picked this up from a few guests i've asked recently is so you got to cut wheat field 
then like how do you go about working that wheat field or what are you looking for? And it sounds like if you've got anywhere you've got, and this is typical of all upland birds, anywhere you've got native, you know, draws or brush or anything like that abutted to that wheat field, that would be a place where you might put yourself. Is that oh, absolutely. assumption? Yeah. You know, and, and you, obviously that's where the dogs come in handy because they're going to cover, you know, and we, we respect the farmers. We don't, we're not walking in their fields or anything like that. So we're walk, walking the edges and we edges. do get, okay. yeah, we're, we do get permission to hunt it, but, but, uh, you know, sometimes we'll have, you know, it'll be a long strip and, and we send, you know, 100 down to the bottom to kind of walk up to us. And we, we start walking from the top okay. and just work it all the way down. So sometimes we'll have as many as three dogs on the ground, you know, but then, you, then you come up as you're, we're going, there's these little grassy swells. And, uh, it seems to me like those, you know, the sagebrush, you're going to find, a, you know, some, um, especially where it's thick and it's, you know, almost head high. But but it's those grassy swells where there's a little more cover and it's, you know, a yep. little bit more of what you would think is, you know, uh, kind of a drainage area. That's that's where the birds are going to be in, in earnest. Yep. And you'll, you'll get into them in good numbers. I think an observation that I'm kind of, I'm sort of making about myself and the way I've gone out gone about my western hunting to this point is that i go out there i'm sort of in the mindset like i'm hunting the grass i'm in the grass i want to be up on the tops chasing the sharp tails on the rolling prairie and i don't want to be in the shrubby brushy stuff but the birds use that stuff and in the few like kind of hunt encounters i've had or or hear about that shrubby stemmy stuff. And this is what one of my previous guests was really hammering home. And, and I almost think I've, I've maybe kind of avoided that stuff because I want to be in the grass, but I need to start paying a little bit more attention to the shrubby stemmy stuff. Like I do when I'm hunting rough grouse back home. So I need to, I need to kind of draw on that a little bit and check out some of those objectives because that's never a bad thing when you're bird hunting. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, like I said, the birds are going to be where the, where there's food, you know, yep. and, and, and I, I would say that huns are opportunists just like any other bird. So, you know, they will eat the wheat. That's probably their favorite thing, but they like bugs just like anything, anything else. And, and, uh, you know, so we've, we've found them in that brushy stuff, just like we have, you know, the grassy areas too. Yeah. So, they are, you know, the Huns are, they tend to be, you know, they'll, they'll kind of occupy areas that could be anywhere from a mile to two miles. So you you got to cover everything if you want to find them sometimes. Sure. Yep. Well, I know you've, I know you've got a meeting that I've got to get you to, but we're going to talk sharp tail books real quick. If you got, okay. if you got a little bit of time left, I have been on a book buying craze this summer, partially due to just, I'm just sort of in that, in that mode and when this hunting season that is upcoming, when it's over, I will have a stack of books that will help me get through the winter. I've been buying a bunch of stuff. I picked up some Charlie Waterman stuff because I know he's a Western Western bird hunting writer. I've had a few people write in to me that as a suggestion. But Andy, we were going to talk about books that have references to or focus on sharp tail hunting. Have at it. Okay. So this is just from my personal library. I, um, yeah. you know, I knew that this was going to be one of the things that we talked about. So I kind of went through and, and located some books where I, you know, there's, uh, writings on sharp tail hunting. Um, some recent ones I would say is Randy Schultz and endless October. Mm. Yeah. Um, he, he writes for the blog, Randy. a bird hunter's thought. And, yeah. uh, 
So he does, you know, and he usually goes out to Montana once a year. So you, yep. you know, he's going to be writing about sharp tails. Um, ben O. Williams, who wrote forever for the Pointing Dog Journal, he has a book called Western Wings, which I'd say is kind of a where to, how to book, but yes, excellent, excellent information about sharp tail hunting. In fact, when I learned, when I got into sharp tail on the Royal McNabb, I thought this is, this is the stuff that I pictured in my mind from, from his book. So yeah. great, great resource. I will just chime in here for listeners and to kind of echo before I went on my first sharp tail hunt, that's the book that I bought Western wings and I read it and I'm due for a reread of that because again, like we talked about earlier in our conversation, I've now had boots on the ground and I have more sensory experience with sharp tails. I I need to go back and, and sort of see how that book appears to me as I read it. Cause I think it would connect a lot more dots for me reading that. But yeah, that's, that's a great one, Excellent. especially as far as like getting an understanding of sharp tails and their habits and habitat. Sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So Dan Holland, the Upland game hunters Bible, and that, that was a, kind of a mass-produced paperback that came out back in the 60s. Dan okay. is the son of the legendary Ray P. Holland that was the editor, I think, for Field and Stream. So, um, but, but it's a good book with good information, but also good stories. So I would tell you about that. He does write about sharp tail or pra- he uh, has a chapter about prairie grouse. Um, one of my favorites, Tom Hugler, Grouse of North America. And basically, that's uh, it, it's got good information on all of the different species that you can hunt in North North America, but also good stories um, about cool. his because yeah. he he did this odyssey where he went to you know hunt all the different species. Yeah. So great great book. I love Tom Hugler anyway, but that's a good good book. That's probably his best yeah. book in my in my opinion. Uh, Jim Fergus, A Hunter's Road. Yeah. Um, you know where he went afield with his uh, dog Sweetser, I think was her name. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 So he writes about uh, sharp tail hunting. Um, some old timers, uh, George Bird Grinnell, who wrote back in the late 1800s. Definitely know the name. Yeah. Yep. So he wrote American Game Bird Shooting. So he kind of gives some okay. uh, information about uh, the, each of the different species of birds, but also gives you know some, some information about hunting them. Robert Holthauser, who's from the Appalachian Mountains, he wrote A High Lonesome Call. And talks about, uh, you know, hunting back east, but also coming, you know, to Montana to hunt sharp tails. And he went to Idaho, I think, to hunt chuckers. So that's a great book. Uh, Charlie Waterman, who you mentioned, Hunting Upland Birds. Uh, that's basically his book where he deals with all of the game birds. And, his, you know, he was kind of a jack of all trades. and Yeah, a uh, bit of a fly fisherman. I picked up yeah. this one recently. You probably have this. Uh it's uh, Tales yeah. of Fly Fishing, Wing Shooting, and the Great Outdoors by Charlie yeah. Waterman. He's awesome. You'll you'll love him. He he was a writer's writer. You know, just made it made it look easy. So good. All right, here here's one that's a little irreverent, but uh, John Holt, Kicking Up Trouble, ah. uh, put out by the Wilderness Press. And John was a fly fishing writer, but this is his bird hunting book, ah. and uh, it's 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 a kick. It's it's a lot of fun. You'll you'll enjoy that one. Um, and it's so Wilderness Press is actually out of, uh, I believe, Montana. So, um, but that's a, that's a great book. Is that uh, is that Tom Perro Wilderness Press? Um, that is Chuck. Um, oh, Chuck! I've talked. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've 
communicated with him a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I knew Chuck I from, there. I can't remember his last name, but he's from, he, he, he writes for the pointing dog journal. Yes. So. Yeah. He's the Western guy, the German dog guy. Yeah. Yep. That's right. And then many don't know this, but everybody knows Ted Nelson Lundrigan, but yes. uh, in his last book, a bird in hand, he writes about hunting sharp tails with his okay. uh, German short hairs. And he, um, he has one chapter that's called Flying Liver, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is what he, what he calls uh, the sharp tail. Anyway, it's a good, good chapter, and he, he's a great writer. Um, there, there's a – okay, so Hunting the Sun is Ted's – I don't have that one. Then he's got Grouse and Lesser Gods. And I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a funny story about – on the cover of Grouse and Lesser Gods, it's basically all about rough grouse hunting. There's one mention of sharptails, but on the cover of that book, there's a sharptail grouse. And I think I remember his buddies from the Deep Portage Rough Grouse Society, they were kind of like ribbing him and, and joking that the publishing company goofed that up. I may have that wrong, but I've got a copy of the book, and it is a sharp-tailed grouse on the cover of it. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'll have to take a look at that. I have all yeah. of them, but uh, but yeah, yeah. I, the one that I – it's his last book that I remember he wrote about uh, sharp-tails. Hand, yeah. Okay, this is this is a classic. It's H.L. Betton, Upland Game Shooting, and, and mm. this is kind of turn of the century that, that he wrote. Actually – he might be in the 1940s, but but he hunted. He was he. I mean, just to kind of give you a background on Benton, he was there when they opened up the first season in Oregon for pheasants. So the first huntable population uh, of pheasants, he was there. Yeah, in the Willamette wow. Valley. So this guy did it all. I mean, just a and he's a great writer. So H. L. Benton, B. E. T. T. E. N. Will you send me this list, Andy? Yep, I will for okay, sure. All right, perfect. Okay, and then Ray P. Holland, who's that? He, that's Dan Holland's dad. He wrote Scatter Gunning, and he okay. uh, he wrote. There's a chapter in there about hunting uh, sh- uh, sharptails, and uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Ray Ray would actually travel on the trains, and he'd take his dogs up to mm. Saskatchewan. He'd hunt them up there too. So um, kind of a he he's got a unique story because he was so early in the game, I guess you could say. So next one is, would be Dave Books. Wing beats and heartbeats, and Dave is a. Uh, I think he's out of Montana, and uh, is written for quite a few of the different magazines. This this was this book was actually published by the Wisconsin University Press. Oh, okay, it's a good book. It's a great book. I um, one of my favorites on the list would be John Barsness, Western Skies. Wow. Um, you can get it in paperback pretty cheap and John doesn't get enough love, but he, you know, he wrote about hunting all the Western game birds and that book is really a good one. So I I do remember some really good chapters in there about sharp tail. Um, Don Thomas wrote a book called fool hen blues, you know, just to give you a little background about him. He actually, was a a surgeon. He's written for numerous uh, magazines though. He wrote for, um, I believe the retriever journal and he also writes for the pointing dog journal. But okay. uh, he lived in Alaska, um, also uh, lived part-time in, in Montana, and uh, he, he wrote about, you know, hunting all the different species in the West. And, and so the book is kind of broken down in, in the different species. And, and uh, so he, he writes about, you know, hunting sharptail, and, and that's where he, he calls them soul chickens. But there's also good chapters oh, in there it. about um uh, you know, hunting blue grouse. I think that's the title chap- chapter, Full Hem Blues. 
And uh, he also writes about hunting rough grouse. Didn't have much good to say about the rough grouse in the West. <laughs> I agree with him on that. But uh, other than that, it's an excellent book. Yeah. Is that the, is that the list? Um, no. Let's see. Uh, Worth Matheson, Best Birds, Upland and Shore. And Worth is kind of a – he also hunts with labs. Um, so kind of like Don Thomas, Don hunted with uh, labs as well and wrote a lot about that. Um, but he talks about going after all the different species of game birds. And, and his book is kind of unique because he was one of the last people to hunt for sharptail in Washington. And so no I kidding. think after something like the last sharptail, uh, you know, ever taken in, in Washington. So, but yeah, his book is awesome. That's a great book. And it's, it's an unsung book. You don't see that on many people's list, but Worth is a great, great writer. So and then let's see two others. Don Thomas, um, same guy that wrote Full Hem Blues to All Things a Season, where he okay. chronicles basically hunting and fishing for a whole year and uh, all of his different uh, outings. It's, it's a great book. And then Jim McC- McCann, who you'll see on yeah. the quite a bit, Upland Hunting in Alaska. Okay, yeah. You know, and it, so he's kind of, I would say he's kind of the guru when it comes to sharp tail hunting in, in Alaska. Written about it quite a bit, and you see a lot of articles that he's he's written on it, and his book covers that as well. He's been on my mind of late, as I interviewed him years ago, kind of like you. And I, knowing that Alaska season opens early, I've got sharp tails. I got sharp tails on my bird brain. I was thinking about touching base with him, and I know he had a birthday a couple of days ago. I just uh, sent him a message on Facebook, but I got to reach out to Jim. I don't have his book, but that's a that's a good recommendation there. Yeah, I wrote a wrote a review of, of his book on on the blog, but um, I'm, I'm sure you can still get that book. It's it, it's available. It's a it's a paperback, so it's not terribly expensive. Yeah, I got a strange request for you. Can you slide your head so I can see that painting on the wall behind you? Sure. <laughs> I see a setter with a long white tail on point. Yeah, that's uh, Ross Young. Okay. And that, I believe that's called, uh, what is that? Chance for a double. It's actually two setters. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I could see it there, yeah. And he, he, he's he got the art on the cover of your book, right? Idaho Upland Days. Yep, he did. And he, he also, on on uh, my last book, the uh, Idaho Rough Grouse Hunting, he had the back cover. And then he also contributed quite a few different uh, pieces that were published in, in the book as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, so he's great. Um, he actually gave me a print of the the uh, cover of Idaho Upland Days that's signed. So I'm getting that frame too. That'll be kind of a cool thing to have. And am I remembering correctly that that painting was kind of inspired of a day that you guys spent in the field together? Um, I'm not sure if that one is. That, that actually okay. looks a lot like the area that we hunted. So when I saw it, if you if you remember the the chapter Tommy's Covey, yes. that that looks like what we're hunting. You know when we're hunting sharptails and huns, uh, so yeah. it does look a lot like that. Um, the book in the book in the intro there is a, a picture that's of uh, it, it's actually a painting of my my Misty my my American oh, okay. and it's Hungarian partridge. So um, that that was inspired by. Uh, our hunt together with Ross, which he's a great guy. Excellent yeah. guy. That's what I, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Well, the cover is uh, 
beautiful. It's a setter and Brittany on point. And yeah, it seems, it seems like the kind of Idaho that I sort of envision when I draw it up in my mind, but man, Andy, that the list of, of sharp tail books that exceeded my expectations. I really appreciate that. You've got to send me that list. I will make it available in the show notes. Cause I know listeners will ask about it really, you know, there was a lot of names there that were not familiar to me. So it was a lot, a lot of stuff that I have not heard of. And I will be going out and searching up some of those titles before I release this episode. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, that's, that's the good thing about used, you know, used books like abebooks.com. Yes. You can find a lot of them for cheap and it does make it challenging when you put, put the list out there because you're going to have some competition, but, <laughs> but you know, and, and some of them are probably not in print and maybe difficult to find, but, but every, you know, that's part of the joy of collecting books is finding, you know, get, getting the find and finding that book for a good price. But some of them, I bet you, you could go and get like Dan Holland's book for, you know, probably two bucks, you know, on, yeah. on Amazon or a books. So, yep. so some of them, I think you'll be able to find not terribly expensive. I did buy a book last night based on your recommendation. You mentioned it on Will's podcast and that was, I maybe had come across it before, but hadn't, hadn't, uh, purchased it or heard much about it, but that was the SD ham and my friend, the partridge. Yeah. <laughs> you, you spoke very highly of that book. I love that book. That book was so good. I, I just, I don't know if you saw my article in, in project Upland, but that, I, that is, no, I got to check that out. That, it's just one of these books that I stumbled across on social media, you know, and I, oh. I thought I had a pretty good grasp of, you know, old classics on rough grouse hunting. But I saw this book, I saw uh, a friend post it. And I'm like, I've never even heard of that book. When looked it up and I'm like, this is an awesome book. You know, this guy, that guy had been hunting grouse like 66 years before he published that book. Yeah. And he just loved it. So you'll, you'll love the book. It's, 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 uh, everything that you, you like about, you know, it's good. It's just stories. So it's yeah. not a where to, how to it's, it's, you know, a, a love affair, if you will, with, with grouse kind of yeah. what I'm looking for. So, yeah, I can get into that pretty easily. So, well, Andy, I, I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. This was, this was a blast. It was great to catch up with you. Uh, I am excited for the upcoming season just as you are. So it's a, it's a good time of year to be bird brains, uh, yep. if we will. And I definitely encourage folks to check out Idaho Open Days, your other book, um, Idaho Rough Grouse, Heartbeat of the Woods. Hey, man, keep up the great work. Thank you so much, and uh, I hope you have a great season. Well, th- thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's It's been a pleasure and enjoyable, just like last time. And like I said, you're always welcome to come out and experience Idaho. I'd love to show you around. I really appreciate that. It's uh, it's definitely on my list, and you have only intrigued me further, Andy. So well, I'll, good. Uh, I'll have to take you up on that someday. All right, good. All right, I'll let you get back to work. You have a great rest of your day. Take care, Andy. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. See you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt and Final Rise. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, and share, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.